Welcome to the STEM Teacher Podcast. This is your host, John Van Dusen. This is episode 28, Emergency Escape Breathing Devices. We have a very special guest with us today. His name is Michael. He is a 2007 graduate from the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Welcome to the show, Michael. Glad to be here. So you work in sales for emergency escape breathing devices. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that is? Well, that's uh, the equipment we make is used in a number of uh, locations, like underground mining or in the maritime industry, anywhere where somebody who's doing their job can find themselves uh, in an atmosphere that's either dangerous to breathe or unbreathable. So do people, is this something that's in the equipment? Do they have it in a backpack? Like how do you even, where, where is this breathing device? We've got a couple of different options. There's some larger units which you can store and some smaller units which you could wear on your belt. And what we normally recommend is you have one on your belt that allows you to get to the larger device which ultimately allows you to get to a breathable atmosphere. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. I never would have thought of that. Can you tell us some of the science that goes into these emergency escape breathing devices? There's a lot there. There's the uh, mechanical engineering side just to design the device and to get it all to fit into a package that'll fit on your belt or in your storage location. And then there's also getting that device to work in conjunction with escape. So there's got to be chemical things going on and biological things going on. That's right. There's the, uh, uh, the chemical scrubber, which actually removes carbon dioxide from your breath uh, and inserts oxygen from an oxygen bottle and then there's the biological processes that take place in your lungs as your own lungs uh, in turn take that oxygen out and when you exhale you put more co2 back into the device wow what about the uh, i feel like there's a lot of technology especially maybe in the testing of these types of things yeah we have a machine called an automatic breathing metabolic simulator and this is a machine that we could use to replicate a uh, human subject for the purpose of testing this equipment so it's safer and so that the results are more reproducible uh, uniform so we could use that data uh, in development of more devices or into proving to uh, some certain bodies that they actually work and do what we advertise that's awesome um, I know you'd mentioned a little bit before about the engineering and the science part of this but what I, there's got to be different types of engineering that go on with these devices. That's right. There's the, the chemical engineering for what we put inside of it, uh, the material that actually removes the carbon dioxide from your breath while it's in use. Uh, we have a lot of mechanical engineering that's gone into it, including testing, because the device, uh, if you're going to put it underground in a mine, for example, it needs to be watertight. It needs to be non-magnetic, non-conducive, just so it's safe for those kinds of environments and is ready to use when you need it. Well, I never would have thought about the waterproof thing. Do you do any, uh, you know, you talk about underground mines. Do you need to do anything with um, uh, ships? We do. There's a lot of small places on a ship where you wouldn't expect it to be dangerous. If you open a door and there's a small you know, four-foot-by-four-foot compartment with nothing in it, that may have been closed off for a long time and there might not be any oxygen in it or it might be filled with some kind of non-breathable gas. And the same goes with a engine room of a ship, for example. If there's a fire and that enclosed box fills up with smoke, you can't breathe that. And our device allows you to uh, have 
immediately breathable oxygen while you're in that environment and provide you enough time to make it to the surface of that vessel. So you're literally saving lives if these devices are used in the real world. That's correct. That's awesome. Uh, what kind of math goes into this? I feel like there'd be a ton of math, especially with the different types of gases or the sizes of these devices. There is. Anywhere we use our device, there's almost a completely different uh, national, either U.S. or international, standard for how they're supposed to perform. Uh, so a device for underground mining, for example, is slightly different for one we use in the maritime industry. And then also they perform differently in different places around the globe. Because if you think about it, if you're in, let's say, South Africa on the surface getting tested for certification, you are very high above sea level. And that the way the gases act at that height or at that altitude is completely different than they act when you're on a ship, which is essentially always at sea level. And then again, if you're underground in a mine, you are far, far below sea level. So you mentioned the sea level. Does, uh, does latitude have anything to do with it? If I'm working near the equator versus if I'm working, say, up near the Arctic or Antarctic Circle, would that have an effect on, on the gases or any of those things? Not that I've noticed. Uh, the temperature might have a bigger impact on it because as you're making your escape and the chemical scrubber is removing the CO2, it's going to get hot uh, because it's a chemical reaction. So if you're in a hot environment, maybe your device is already heated up a little bit, so it might get even hotter. Or if you are in a colder environment, uh, you'll have to, the device will heat up at a, to a lesser extent because it's already cold. Well, I never would have thought of that, but a chemical reaction is endothermic, so it gives off heat. Or I'm sorry. Exothermic. Exothermic. Thank you. Um, so I know you've only been doing this job since 2015, but... What has changed the most in the three years you've been doing this? Uh, well, apart from the standards we have to conform to, I'd, I'd say probably the, the types of uh, math and engineering that have been required of me specifically, because I came in as a R&D. Research and development, right? That's right. Uh, working on the automatic breathing metabolic simulator. And then I got moved to a position as an engineer rep for... A region so that if they had questions regarding the performance of the device or issues uh, relating to production I could answer those for them and now that I'm in sales specifically the type of math that I'm using is not the same kind of uh, balancing chemical equations or calculating performance data uh, with large sets of data uh, it's more about uh, finances and the difference between separate currencies and uh, the just keeping track of all the standards. So you're not only doing math on the money, like I think of it when I go to the grocery store, but you're having to convert that currency to different countries. That, that's right. And when you're making a deal uh, with any other country, their currency is not going to stay the same in relation to our currency. So if we make a deal at, uh, let's say it's one U.S. dollar to one of any other currency, and then their economy either improves or our economy decreases, we may end up getting less of a good deal later down the line. Wow, that sounds really complicated. <laughs> it is. Uh, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who was maybe interested in this type of thing? Uh, they were interested in, in getting into the emergency escape breathing device business. What's one piece of advice you would give them? 
Well, for this field specifically, you'd have to look at some mechanical engineering just to understand how to put something together. The, the chemical engineering side of it, obviously, and then also the biological aspect. Uh, but the most important thing, I think, for anybody regarding this would be to keep an open mind in terms of which fields you're going to spend your time studying because you may not think it's immediately relevant or that you'll be doing it, uh, but 20, 30 years down the road, you might find yourself in that position. And from previous conversations you and I have had, you, when you went to college, you didn't learn any of this? No, my degree's in urban and regional planning, uh, doing walkability studies, traffic studies, which is a completely different <laughs> set of this new development is going to generate trips from this uh, housing development and how many times is a car going to be traveling from here to there. It's didn't use any of that in my uh, escape breathing device. <laughs> yeah, here you are traveling literally the world dealing with emergency escape breathing devices. <laughs> that's, that's right. I did not expect to find myself here and a little more preparation and some things I'd perhaps wasn't so interested in back then could have helped a lot. That's great advice. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show, Michael. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We were just talking with Michael, who works with emergency escape breathing devices. He went over the science, technology, engineering, and math that goes into basically all aspects of that to include testing and sales. So this is John Van Dusen. Please keep an open mind and try to learn something new every day. You have been listening to the STEM Teacher Podcast, available on Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, CastBox, and Anchor. You can also follow John Van Dusen on Twitter at Mr. Underscore JVD.